Amen. We are in the fifth week of this message series called Make Your Mark, uh, looking at key passages in the book of Acts. You've got an outline in front of you if you care to follow along with that. It'll be on the screen, too. The, the series is about adopting values and habits that enable you to live a life in such a way that you actually kind of make a dent in the universe for the sake of Jesus. I'm going to give you a very quick review. I've got them written out there for you. But in week number one, we talked about becoming more and more like Jesus. You know, who Jesus, the Bible says, went around doing good at every opportunity. Even when doing such good costs you something. Now, have you been doing that lately? You've been doing good to other people, even if it costs you a little bit? Week number two, we talked about uh, unity and the importance of finding common ground with each other. Uh, being of one mind doesn't mean that we all have the same opinion, but we all see the same big picture of Jesus and him crucified and resurrected. In week three, we talked about mastering some of the basics, because in the Christian life, the way up, I said, is the same as the way in. We are saved by grace and we grow by grace. In week four, we talked about Jesus being the center of all that we do. In other words, to make your life, your mission, and your message all about Jesus. And I don't know whether you remember this or not, but I gave you an assignment. Or at least I suggested some homework to read or begin reading one of the Gospels from start to finish. With the goal of getting to know Jesus just a little bit better. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. You know the answer, uh, whether you did it or not. But I would still encourage you, if you haven't started, try it. If you haven't finished it, finish it. Now, today I'm going to kind of pick up where this last message left off. And I'm going to start by just saying simply, when you make your life, like we see up there, and your mission and your message all about Jesus, when you actually know Jesus personally as Lord and Savior, and he becomes the center of everything you are and what you do, when you discover that he is really the only one that makes life worth living, then I'd suggest to you that it's only natural that you would want to share that joyful truth with as many people as you can find. So today we're going to talk about that. I'll just talk about sharing our faith with people around you. Now, my wife asked me a question the other day. It's like, how many years of, uh, was it graduate school I've had? Uh, what... Pardon? Schooling I've had. And I think we end up with a number 23 years of schooling one way or the other. You know, by the time you accumulate a bachelor's degree and three master's degrees and the doctor, you've been in school a long time. All I can tell you is I've received a lot of great teaching. In fact, I'm taking a class right now to study on the book of Galatians. But I've learned how to study the Bible. I've learned how to have a daily quiet time. I've learned about prayer and worship and service and obedience. And the principles that I've, I've learned over the years pretty much have stayed with me my entire life. But I'm going to confess something. This doesn't necessarily apply to every area. And as it turns out, there have been some things that I've actually had to kind of unlearn and also get rid of a lot of what I had assumed. And it's going to surprise you, but I think I've had to unlearn a lot about what I was taught concerning personal evangelism. Now, I was taught that the best evangelism is confrontational. That it was kind of up to me 
to uh, control and dominate the conversation with this unchurched person. And so when I first took a personal evangelism course when I was in college, we were kind of taught to memorize a rather slick gospel presentation, which was really, if you thought about it, was a sales pitch. And after you finished it, you were kind of to look at this person and you would say something like this. Well, now, considering all of this that I just told you, is there any good reason why you can't receive God's free gift today? Can we pray right now together that you receive Christ? Now, I want you to know I am not mocking the idea of one-on-one witnessing in any way. And when you think about it, it's true that we're not guaranteed tomorrow. Uh, and this is a decision you should never neglect. Uh, but I would say, you know, coming to Christ and knowing Jesus as your Savior is such an important decision that every person deserves the right to be able to make that decision without any manipulative techniques or high pressure. Now, I want you to think about buying a car for a moment. Have you ever experienced buyer's remorse after you've bought one? It usually happens when you have a high-pressured salesman someplace and you get pressed into making a decision that you're not quite ready to make because you have not really sufficiently counted the cost. But the salesman gets it in his head that you are not going to leave that lot today without a contract. And he will look you in the eye and he'll say, what do I need to do to get you into this new car today? And if you kind of stand there and hem and haw, he's going to say, you know, I'm probably going to get fired for this. But I'll tell you what, I'll even throw in the undercoating, which is kind of a joke. But only if we can get this right done right now while my boss is at lunch. In fact, I'm going to give you the keys, drive it around the block. I'm going to give you an ink pen. And I want to know, is there any reason whatsoever why you can't make this decision that you know you want to make right now? The decision that you know is best for you and your family. Now, it goes without saying that not every car salesman is like that. Just like not all pastors are hellfire and brimstone. But we all know what it's like to be manipulated into making a purchase too soon. Whether it's buying a car, buying a house, or dare I ask, has anybody ever been kind of suckered into buying a Kirby vacuum cleaner? (laughs) I think my father-in-law bought at least three. I don't know, it just seemed like he had a lot of them at one time. Um, And it happens when we make the decision too soon and without looking to God's direction. Now, i got to tell you, the Christian life is not a car. The Christian life is not a house. The Christian life is not a vacuum cleaner. It's far more important. And for that reason, Christians need to make the decision to follow Jesus, not with a big flurry of emotion, but having counted the cost of what it actually means to be a Christ follower. It's kind of like, have you ever been to the wedding? A wedding. It's the traditional wedding liturgy. Now, whenever I consent to do a wedding... I'm pretty flexible with almost every aspect of the wedding, except for one thing, and that's that I almost always include some form of what I would call a traditional opening of sorts. And this is kind of how uh, it begins. 
dearly beloved, we are gathered together here in the sight of God in the face of, of this company to join together this man and this woman in holy matrimony, which is an honorable estate instituted by God, signifying unto us the mystical union that is between Christ and his church, which holy estate Christ adorned with his presence and the first miracle that he performed in Cain of Galilee and is commended by St. Paul to be honorable among all men. And then this last little phrase, and it is not, therefore it is not to be entered into inadvisedly and lightly, but reverently, discreetly, advisedly, soberly in the fear of God. Now, I put that up there very simply to show you that if this is how serious we are to take it, when we enter into a marriage relationship with a great deal of consideration and counseling and counting the cost, then maybe how you're going to spend your ultimate relationship, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you ought to first consider the cost as well. Now, we've been looking at stories in the uh, book of Acts, and today we're going to look at this story I read to you before from Acts chapter 8 about Philip, his encounter with this Ethiopian, and how he shares the gospel. Now, I read this before, and just a reminder, uh, this Ethiopian, probably a black man from Ethiopia, was actually a eunuch who served as the chief treasurer for Queen Candace. He had gone to Jerusalem, as the Bible said, to worship And now he's on the way home. Now, we can pretty much guess that since he came from Ethiopia, probably because he was black, that he was not Jewish, and so he was not considered to be a Jew, and therefore he was just considered to be called what the Jews called a God-fearer. Now, it meant that he believed in the one true God, he worshipped the one true God, but he did not follow the moral code of the Torah the first five books of the Bible. He had not opted into the diet. He probably, well, uh, or any of the other rituals. But Philip was sent, and Philip sees this man reading from a scroll from the book of Isaiah, and so he struck up a conversation with him, answering his questions and talking to him about what he was reading. And that's what you see. Philip began with that very scripture to talk about it. Now, Philip then led that man to Jesus. We know that. Stopped right there. He was baptized. The Bible says the the eunuch went on his way rejoicing. Philip went on to preach the gospel in many other towns. Now, this story, as I looked at it, kind of teaches us about five different things, I think, about how you and I can also learn to share our faith with other people. And the first way I would tell you is this. Just listen to the leading of the Holy Spirit. In verse 29... Uh, I said, the Spirit told Philip. Now, now, who told Philip? The Spirit told Philip. Go to that chariot and stay near it. Now, this is kind of where sharing your faith begins. The Spirit kind of leads you into it. He'll gently speak to you or draw something to your attention. I, I think of a, of a young mother and her children that I happened to run into at a Starbucks several months ago, and I happened to see her reading a kind of a Christian book, and I, I thought, well, that's a kind of an interesting way to get into the conversation. And the end of it was she started coming to church and bringing her children along. Um, you know, but there have been hundreds, there could have been hundreds of people on that road that day. Just like there could be hundreds of people around you each and every day, but it was the chariot that was carrying this Ethiopian that the Spirit called to Philip's attention. 
Now, that's how sharing your faith works. It's not that you grab everybody that comes by and shout the gospel in their face. Uh, it's that you listen to the Holy Spirit and let the Holy Spirit guide the people, the ones who are ready to listen. And believe me, if you make yourself available to him, he is going to guide you. Now, I love the way that Luke records Philip's response in verse 30. Then Philip ran up to the chariot. See, that's how you respond to the Holy Spirit's leadership. You run. Now, i got to admit that I don't always run. In fact, you could probably see two little trails in the sand where the Holy Spirit has drugged me into that situation. Uh, but Philip gives us a much better example. He ran. See, if you listen to the leading of the Holy Spirit... He'll give you opportunities to share your faith with those. You just kind of pray, Lord, open my eyes and ears so I can hear your voice and recognize the opportunities that are right there in front of me. Now, here's the second thing, and that's to look for the open door. Philip heard this man reading from the scroll of Isaiah, the Old Testament, and he asked him this question, do you understand what you're reading? Have you ever been anywhere and seen somebody reading a Bible? Coffee shop, McDonald's, restaurant. You ever seen that? I suggest you don't ever assume that they know what they're reading. I have to tell you a story. It happened to me a number of years ago. I was uh, had finished up a, consult- a church consultation out in Seaside, Oregon. And so I was very early at the airport in Portland, and I thought I would see if I could get an earlier flight home. And I asked, can I get on this flight that's leaving earlier? And the lady said, well, we'll put you on standby. I said, fine. Well, I stood there and waited, waited. Everybody's on plane. She called me forward. She said, uh, I can get you on this plane, but you're going to need to sit in first class. Thank you, Jesus. I sit in a seat that I actually fit in. Um, and I'll probably get food that's served on real dishes instead of a paper plate or whatever. So I walked into first class, and I was putting my bag in the overhead compartment, and I noticed there was a, a, a man sitting in the seat next to me who had his Bible out and was open. So when I sat down, I leaned over to him and I said, Do you understand what you're reading? And he looked at me and said, Are you trying to pull that Philip and the Ethiopian trick on me? <laughs> so he was a Christian. We had a wonderful conversation on the way back. But I'm just saying, that may be the way you start out witnessing. Uh, You look for the open door. Uh, The man here said he didn't uh, because no one explained it to him. You know what that's called? That's an open door. There will be times when you start a conversation with someone, and they'll actually engage you a little bit further. When that happens, you need to walk through that door. There will be times when you start a conversation with somebody, and guess what? Immediately, they'll slam the door in your face. I've always prayed that when I traveled that God would put an unbeliever in the seat next to me on the plane. I've had all kinds of experiences that way. I sat down on one plane, and the guy flopped down and told me, we'll talk later. I thought, wow, an open door. And when we took off, I found out I rode home with T.D. Jakes, the pastor of one of the largest churches in Dallas-Fort Worth area. But I've also sat down with a guy sat down next to me. And he looked at me and says, and who are you? And I said, I'm a pastor. And he pulled out the Nation of Islam newspaper. And that was the end of that conversation. Closed door. But the Holy Spirit is always in the process of getting people ready. 
So listen to the Holy Spirit. Look for the open door. Kind of go hand in hand. It's tempting sometimes to squeeze in a little sermonette when the time isn't right, especially when we're talking to people we know. Now, I have an acquaintance down at Angola Prison I've known for oh, probably as long as I've been there, uh, who is not where he needs to be spiritually, I'll tell you that much. In fact, um, he probably would tell you that he's an atheist. And every time I see him down there, I ask him whether he did ever think about coming to one of my classes, and he always tells me, no, that's not me. I've always asked him, you know, I'm preaching or I'll be preaching tonight in the main prison. You know, come, no, that's not me. Uh, And it's always been kind of tempting to me to put in a little God commercial in our brief conversation. But I decided a long time ago I just wasn't going to push it. But the last time I was there, we were heading into the main prison to teach in the morning. He stopped me. We talked a bit. And then out of the blue, he said, what can you tell me about prayer. Wow, what's that? That's called an open door. Now, I only had a few minutes to talk to him. I mean, I didn't say, oh, wow, I can go on to some long dissertation about prayer, but I said something, well, I'll tell you, prayer works. I'm happy to pray for you. If we want to meet a little bit later, we can talk about that. I said, but there are plenty of other inmate pastors here who would be able to help you. I said, you know, like, for example, you know Ron Hicks, or do you know so-and-so or so-and-so? Yeah, I said, you ought to get together with them. And and he actually said, I'll think about it. That's the first time I've ever heard him say anything close to whatever. But it was just a brief open door. Now, if you farm or you garden, you know that you have to have 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 fertile soil before you can plant a seed. Here's the third thing, and that is to begin where people are. The Ethiopian was reading from the book of Isaiah. So he had questions about Isaiah. I would bet that if you were reading Isaiah, you might actually have questions about it, because it's an interesting book. So what does Philip do? I mean, did he start talking to him about Ethiopian culture? No. Did he start talking about cultural values between, you know, Ethiopians and Jews? No. Uh, Did he say, well, let's first of all talk about the inerrancy of the scripture. Didn't talk about that. He didn't start talking about, oh, tell me about your job as a, um, the chief treasurer for the entire nation. Or what's Queen Candace really like? Or uh, tell me what you really thought about the worship service when you were in Jerusalem that you just went. It didn't do that. What does it say? Philip began with that very scripture, the one that he was reading, and told him the good news about Jesus. Now, it just so happens his current interest was in the prophetic passage about the Messiah. But that's not really surprising because Bible passages about Jesus tend to be a whole lot more interesting than almost anything else in the Bible. In fact, in the first class that I had on personal evangelism, it was taught by a guy who had the same last name I did. He thought it would be really nice if I was in his class. We were taught something that I always remember. It's called diversionary tactics, if you can believe this. Diversionary tactics. We were told that if the person we were witnessing to should ask a question, we should answer by saying something like, that's an interesting question. Let's kind of put that on the back burner and we'll get to it later. That's kind of like a school teacher who really wants to finish the lesson plan. And doesn't want to answer the questions the kids are asking at that moment. Or it's kind of like the salesman, uh, what he might say to a prospect to get him to close the deal. But, but it's not something that one person says to another when you are 
in a conversation. And that's what sharing your faith is. Your faith is nothing more than a conversation with another person. It is not a lecture. It is not a sales pitch. You're just talking. So when the Holy Spirit leads, the door opens, talk to the person about where they are, answer their questions as best as you can, their curiosities, make it a conversation, which means there's some listening going on at the same time. Now, there are times when I talk to people who only want to argue with me, and they actually strike up a conversation to do that. Or sometimes they want to do it, they want to get into it, they want to tell me how horrible Christianity is. I've actually had a few people say, well, what kind of church are you connected with? And when I say Lutheran, they go off on me. Because they think I'm part of the ELCA, which is the more... And so I, I sometimes feel like I've got to defend my... I just kind of learned, no, I'm not going to talk about it. I said, no, I'm a Lutheran who believes in God's word. You know, just God's word. Uh, some people just want to divert you. And when this happens, you can only say, I guess the door isn't quite open and the person isn't quite ready for a conversation. And it's tempting, believe me. And some of you have probably been suckered into this. Isn't it? It's tempting to get into an argument with them over something or debate them about something. But arguments and debates are seldom ever won in the kingdom. So the goal in sharing your faith is to try to have a little give and take conversation that begins with them where they are. And that leads me to the next thing, number four. Tell them about Jesus. That's what Philip said. He began with that very scripture and told them the good news about Jesus. That's ultimately where our conversation needs to go. It's all about Jesus. It's not about the church. It's not about politics. It's not about following a bunch of rules or regulations. It's all about Jesus. How he lived, how he died, how he rose again, uh, and how all who put their trust in Jesus experience a new life in him because he's the Lord of all creation. He wants to be the Lord of your life. Now, maybe you see somebody reading the book of Isaiah, and quite honestly, you don't know enough to talk about Isaiah 53, the messianic nuances of that chapter, which is what this guy was reading. But you can tell other people what Jesus has done for you. Now, I know that a lot of people are afraid to get into a conversation with other people for fear that the other person will ask them a question that they don't know the answer to. Could that be any of you? I don't know if I want to talk about my faith, because what if they ask me, what's this deal about baptizing babies? What's this deal about the body and blood of Jesus? And you kind of go, where's Dr. Cole when you need him? Uh, anybody got Dr. Culp's cell phone number? You know, if you don't know the answer, don't try to make one up. I would just say, well, some things are very difficult to understand at the beginning. All I can tell you is what he means to me. And that's your testimony. And guess what? Nobody can refute your testimony because it's your testimony. It's your walk. It's your connection with Jesus. See, if you're talking to others about the Christian faith and your conversation is primarily about what we as a church think about culture or doctrine or politics, I'd suggest to you that you're probably missing the point. Our goal is not to get some people to accept family values into their heart. 
Uh, our goal is not to get people to join this political party or that party or to vote for this candidate or that candidate. Our goal is to show a lost and dying world how they can experience life in a one-on-one -on -one relationship with Jesus. And when you share your faith, you share Jesus. And number five, leave the decision to them. I mean, it's their decision what they'll do with their relationship to God. You can't make the decision for them, and you certainly can't pressure them into making the right decision. It's a difficult decision that each individual has to make for themselves. And I know this is hard. How many of you have people in your life, family or friends, that you wish you could believe for? You know, take a little of my faith and put it in them. Well, it can't be done. I mean, there are people in my life, uh, their family, their friends, who could not be less interested in things of spiritual nature. They just don't care. And for some of them, life without God has brought them nothing but misery, but they're convinced that God has nothing to offer, that God has nothing he can do to help them get out of their misery. And I'll be honest with you, there are any number of people that if I could somehow believe for those people and somehow I could make this choice for them, I would, but I can't, and neither can you. When Philip was talking to this Ethiopian, he didn't start trying by manipulating the conversation so that he could close the deal so the guy would sign on the dotted line. He just told him about Jesus, and guess what? Suddenly, the man responded. If that ever happens to you, guess what? It's going to be one of the most amazing things you've ever experienced. I was raised in a farming community. I don't know a lot about farming. But I've always kind of compared evangelism to farming. And, you know, if you're going to plant something in a field, sometimes the very first thing you need to do is get rid of all the rocks, the rocks and the stumps that are in that field. There are people like that. Their lives are so littered with rocks and stumps It'd be practically impossible to plant anything in there. And then sometimes when you get the rocks and stumps out, then what do you have to do? You've got to plow through that field. You've got to turn up that dirt. Something's going to happen. And then you may have the opportunity to plant that seed. But guess what? That seed sometimes needs to be watered. And when the plants grow, I don't know about you, but every time I've ever tried to plant anything alongside the stuff I've planted, what else grows? Weeds. So sometimes you need to go in there and you need to prune them, jerk out the weeds. Sometimes you need to go back and fertilize it a little bit, but then comes the glorious day of harvest. Now I'm going to tell you, if you get to, I've had a lot of times in my life where I think all I've ever been able to do for a person was just to jerk the, the rocks and the stumps out of their life. It's a little frustrating. It's like, oh man, I couldn't get, but... I kind of helped them clean up their life a little bit, but I couldn't lead them to Jesus. There have been some times when I've actually helped people prune their life. I've kind of jerked some weeds out of their life and said, come on, get over it. You know better than that. When I was at Trinity in Bloomington a number of years ago, my secretary said, there's a guy out here who wants to see you. And I said, send him on in. And he came in. And I said, what can I do for you? He said, I want to accept Christ as my Lord and Savior. It's like, What? And then he began to tell me about the people, the stump pullers, the boulder removers, the plowers in his life, the planters in his life, 
the pruners in his life, the fertilizers in his life, and guess what? I was the one who just happened to be in the way of harvest. Anywhere you get involved in that is great, but I'm going to say it again. If you ever get involved from beginning to end, it will be unlike anything you've ever experienced in your life. See, when Philip was talking to the Ethiopian, he didn't try to manipulate the conversation and close the deal. He simply said, or the Ethiopian simply said, hey, look, there's water. Is there any reason I can't be baptized? And Philip said, no. And they stopped the chariot and it happened. He owned his decision to the point that he took it upon himself to be baptized. It, was because, it wasn't because Philip smooth-talked his way through a presentation. It was because Philip answered his questions, and when he was ready to own it, he committed. See, we sometimes make the mistake of thinking that uh, evangelism is selling Christianity, or that we're called to be his sales force. Uh, it's not that at all. We're not God's salespeople. Uh, we're his reporters. Uh, it's not your job to close the deal. It's your job to tell the story, to report what God has done through Jesus and what God has done in your life. Very simply, you tell his story and you tell your story. And ultimately, this is how we make our mark. When the Holy Spirit leads us and the door opens, start the conversation, then tell the story, his story, and your story. May God bless all of us in this wonderful Great Commission journey. Amen.